Good morning and welcome to RYB Sunday at Emmanuel. It was just going to be Ride Your Bike Sunday to connect with the Ride for Refuge yesterday and our fundraising for our uh, Haiti partnership. But then when the weather looked like it was going to be really rainy, I thought, well, RYB will also cover Row Your Boat. (laughs) And for a lot of you, it's really just Rev Your Buick. (laughs) So either way you got here and whether you biked or drove or walked or ran, um, we're glad that you came, and a special welcome to our guests. And, but of course, our main reason to be here is simply because God calls us, and He wants to touch and shape and guide our lives, starting with us as soon as we're born, right to the oldest one of us. So let's pray to God for His blessing on this time. Lord Jesus Christ, thank You for Your presence and Your love. And as we worship You, on this day, as we receive this day as a gift from you, as we celebrate life, and as we walk through whatever challenges we may be facing, we just pray that your spirit would guide us and shape us and move among us to form us more fully into your likeness. And for that miracle, we pray that your spirit would come and move among us with power. In your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen. As a people gathered by God, we receive his word of greeting, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells among us. Amen. So this week, Monday I think it was, I sent out, or we sent out, an email with the daily readings, right? And I said there's five readings that are preparation for this service and for the small group event that happens this afternoon or whenever else you meet. Did anybody notice something wrong with that email? Uh Uh-oh. All right, there's nothing wrong with that email then. There's only four passages on there. That's all. No big deal. Um, And that said, those four passages and a few more will be the uh, guide for our message today, so I'm not going to read any of them ahead of time. Um, I will read them, and they'll be on the screen as we go through the message. So we are this fall doing a relationship series, and um, first thing you need to know in this relationship is that it's a small group-related relationship series, and so I need to know that you have your place to discuss, and I need to remind you that if you don't already have a small group or other group to uh, meet with and talk about these things, then uh, this afternoon at 4 o'clock right here. It won't be raining then either, so you can bike again if you want to. Um, We'll have small groups, so just come on in. Even if you didn't come to the last one, we will gather again and make sure you find a place. And then, of course, for next week, Thanksgiving, we'll be off again, then we'll pick up the series for the next four weeks after Thanksgiving. So last time, two weeks ago, we talked about connecting with God. Today we're going to talk about knowing ourselves And you'll be very glad to know, I'm sure, that John Calvin, when he starts his Institutes for the Christian Studies, basically talks about how knowing God and knowing yourself are are intertwined, right? You can't really know one without the other. Part of understanding who we are as human beings is understanding who is the God who created us, right? And part of understanding who God is is learned through um, relationships and understanding the image of God living within us. That's why these are the first two. After this, by the way, we're going to deal with some... Um, pretty tough topics, so I'm going to warn you ahead of time. Uh, along the way, we're going to look at mental illness. We're going to look at pornography. We're, g- we're not going to look at pornography. We're going to talk about pornography. Got to be really careful of that. Uh, we're going to look at the topic of homosexuality. 
and, and abuse, right? So these will be tough topics. I don't know how else to say that than uh, come prepared. Remember that very, pretty much my very first sermon here, and I talked about how I was growing tomatoes in pots, and then I talked about my pot plants, and that was the end of that sermon. <laughs> I have a funny feeling this one went that way too. Incarnational. Christianity is an embodied religion. So we just sang a song during the offering about this is not my home and I'm getting out of here and I'm not sure we're singing it next week anymore because it really doesn't fit with what I'm about to tell you is that Christianity is about your body and living right here, right? Jesus came and Christianity is the only religion with this kind of crazy thing. God came and lived here, right? Most religion really is about how do I get me out of here, the mess and the stuff that's painful? How do I escape from here and get somewhere else? All right? The reason people get addicted to substances is because they don't like it here and they want to get somewhere else. That becomes their religion. That becomes their God. Right? Christianity says, not a chance. You are bodily created in the image of God. You need to live out your life in your body. And so God says, I'm going to come into your world in a body. That's why Christmas is so important. I'm going to live among you. Right? And so we need to learn to live out our religion here because we're not actually going to get pulled out of here. Jesus is going to come back here and fix this world. All right? So Christianity is an embodied religion. Colossians 2 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Right? And this image, an idea that somehow, and it's one of the incredible mysteries of Christianity, somehow Jesus was fully God. That all of Godness, which already we can't understand, lived in the person, Jesus Christ, who lived on this earth 2,000 years ago and was recognizable as Joseph and Mary's son. And if you grew up in the church, you've heard that said so many times that, yeah, I know. And I don't know how to make you pause and stop and think, right? But here's the neat truth that goes with that. In a couple seconds, I'm going to put up a verse from 1 Corinthians. It says, you are, we are, the body of Christ. So just as amazing as it is that God came in bodily form and lived in the person of Jesus, that truth still carries on in every single one of us. Right? The Holy Spirit lives in us. I'm pretty much giving away all my sermon text now, so I'm just going to go to them. 1 Corinthians 11 says, when he had given thanks, this communion, he broke it, the, the bread, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus' act that we carry on in communion that connects us to the fact that he was in this world, that he died for us, that he gave that sacrifice, includes the words, this is my body, which is for you. Take my body so that you can live in your body in the same way. That's that connecting point between us and Jesus. Then 1 Corinthians, that should be 12, Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. We embody Christ in this world, right? So when we go to Haiti, we're going there to learn with them what it's like to embody Christ, because we know what it's like to embody Christ here. They know what it's like to embody Christ there. And what we need to realize is there's, there's a whole lot more to this embodying thing than we understand. It was really neat when, when our friends from La Roca, um, two of whom have roots in Ecuador, when I asked them in the meeting, well, why do you want to go to Haiti? They didn't say so we can help those poor people. They said the right answer. We want to go to Haiti to learn how Jesus works there. Right? 
We're going because we understand Jesus has this, right? And we're partners. We're part of the same body as these folks. We're going to go on that journey together. God with us. That is the English translation of the name of this church, Emmanuel. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Are you, not, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So in baptism, what we just did today is we, we took your children from you and gave them to God, right? Your text actually just simply said that. Right? I give this child back to God. Right? In baptism, a child is renamed Christian. Right? They get to keep their family names. But in baptism, our whole self, and this text, our bodily self, what we do, what we have, how we function, right, is given to God. And the promise of baptism includes sealed with the Holy Spirit. Given that Holy Spirit. And so... Our assumption is that these boys and all of us who were baptized have received the Spirit and hopefully that Spirit grows in them in such a way that they experience the power of that Spirit at work in their lives and that they realize the reason I need to do healthy things with my body, with my life, is because this isn't my body. My body belongs to this community. My body belongs to God. My body is sort of this thing that God has said, here's your vehicle. I'm not giving you ownership of it, but you're a steward of it. You get to use it. You get to drive it around, right? But remember, I gave this thing to you. And what he's going to tell us is there's a really good way to use it, and there's a whole lot of ways that aren't quite as helpful. The warning on there, I think it's a little blurry, says, do not use while sleeping. I just wanted to make sure everybody here knew not to blow dry their hair while they're sleeping. This fine company decided that when they made clothes hangers, caution, do not swallow. There's even a picture there of what happens if you do swallow. You get a neck like this. There's a whole website, of course, of these fabulous, crazy warnings, which makes me ask, why are there so many crazy warnings? Because people do really crazy things, right? I've always been struck since I've been growing up that you drive by a park and they're taking out all the park equipment and putting in different stuff. Why were they doing that? Because someone got hurt. It's always struck me that I don't think the equipment got up and jumped and grabbed a kid and hurt him, right? Kids do crazy things because that's what we do. We try and figure these things out. So we make all these warnings, right? Don't swallow clothes hangers. Don't blow dry your hair while sleeping or in the bathtub for that matter. Basic wisdom. Use as intended. Proverbs 3 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Don't think you know everything. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Now the Proverbs, the wisdom literature of the Bible, is basically good old solid common sense. right? And the reason we need common sense is because, of course, we don't all have individual sense. right? We need other people to tell us, These are the rules. Don't swallow coat hangers. right? It'll hurt your neck, among other things. Right? We need the common wisdom that says God has made a system and a plan in this world for how bodies function, what's helpful for them, what's healthy for them, right? And there's a whole bunch of things that aren't healthy for you. And if you do the healthy things, you'll be healthier than if you don't do them. Anybody not know that? Was that brand new to anybody, right? The amazing thing and the reason we gather here is we have this crazy propensity to do things that aren't healthy for us. 
and I do them regularly and consistently. Anyone here have an addiction? Everyone put up your hand because I'm not moving on until you all pull up your hands. All right. I'm just going to settle it for most of you. Coffee? All right. Nailed you. There you go. Right? All of us have habits. We're, we're allowed, that's a better word, right? Habit is okay. I don't have an addiction. I have a habit. It's an addiction. That's kind of what that means. We have habits that hurt our life relationally, physically, all different kinds of ways. There's something about living in this world and all of its opportunities that draws us into places that aren't good for us. And so the simple wisdom of Scripture is don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't just do whatever you think you want to do because really that is that's what commercials tell you. What you need to do is what feels good to you in the moment, right? But here's a simple test. Will you do whatever you want to do for yourself in public or tell everybody about it? That's a pretty good standard for deciding, no, that probably is a bad habit because I don't really want people to know what I eat at night or how much I drink or how much I do this. I kind of keep that to myself, right? Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Work in community and allow other people to hold you accountable for how you, how you live your life, right? It isn't a matter of lacking information for most of us, right? It's relationships and accountability. Faith is not an out-of-body experience. Again, there are plenty of segments of Christianity and well, as well as many other religions that really want us to think that our main goal is to suffer through this life or get through this life somehow so that we can get to the real stuff, right? But the truth of Christianity really is that this is the real stuff. Having Jesus in your life now is the beginning of your experience of heaven, right? That's the biblical teaching. And in the end, Jesus is going to come back and say, and now the dwelling of God is with men, Revelation 22, 21, right? Getting us all together. Galatians 2 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. That almost starts sending in the way, oh, yeah, I'm no longer in this body. No, but Christ lives in me. It's not my spirit that's leading my life anymore. It's Christ's spirit. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? Jesus went through the suffering of this world to redeem our suffering in this world so that we could live in this world. And unfortunately, so far, for the next little while anyway, so Jesus returns, part of our task in this world is to suffer with other people. Right? So the reason... We help those who are in need is because we recognize we're supposed to do what Jesus did. We're supposed to absorb what is painful in people's lives. We're supposed to listen when they're grieving. We're supposed to walk with them when they're, when they're, when they're down. Right? We're supposed to go on that journey with them and hold them accountable and walk in those difficult times with them because Jesus wants to redeem their life, their bodies, and their experience. By the way, you folks do this very well. Uh, Shelby is about as new a person in our community as there is, right? And as you heard in the prayer, maybe read online if you're in our, on, our, um, on our list, she's in the hospital this week. She's had seizures and there's a whole bunch of difficult stuff going on for her in her life right now, especially medically speaking, right? And I have more of you updating me on what's going on there and saying, can I visit and going there and so on. And I just want to celebrate that, that you understand that part of the body, right? That you're walking with her and encouraging her. Right. Likewise with Melissa, who just adopted the baby. Melissa came to us in the summer. She's from McCarty Court. I'm sure she's never talked to any of you because she's about the shyest person in the world. Right? But nonetheless, when she said, 
I know a mom who's going to have a baby coming out of a shelter. You provide as much stuff as you possibly could. Too much, thank you very much, right? And now Melissa has taken custody of this baby. Long story, right? And I trust we're going to continue to walk with her and encourage her. That's what it means to embody what, who Christ is in this world. And then working it out. First Corinthians 9, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. For those of us who are competitive, this is our favorite verse in the Bible, right? Go like you're going to win. Ride for refuge yesterday, and uh, I got out earlier than many, passed a few people, got into that zone where I knew those guys up there, I was never going to catch them, right? I just say, well, they're younger than me. That's my excuse all the time. And then some guy comes and he passes me. I hate it when people pass me. I'm just going to go right out there and say that honestly. And he got a little bit ahead of me, and then going uphill. You've heard me before on biking. I'm actually a downhill specialist, right? I got enough weight. I'm good at downhill, right? I passed him going uphill. But then I knew I couldn't sustain it, so there was a rest stop, and I took a snack. (laughs) That way, in my mind, and then at the end of the whole ride for refuge, race for refuge, was that what it's called? Race for refuge, right? I was right with him again, and we had a nice chat. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Live your life of following Jesus as if it's a competitive sport. So not good enough, but am I winning? Am I striving to do all that I can to achieve what I need to do? So this is my experience of pretty much every bike ride that I do. I start riding, and I think, yeah, I'm only going to go a little ways today. I don't feel like doing this. This hurts, and it's tiring. And then you get in that mode. Someone passes you. Adrenaline gets going. Whatever else takes place. car gets too close to you, and everything starts flowing, right? And by the end, you're realizing, no, I can do this. This is, right, and that, that juice keeps going. Somehow in our journey with Jesus, There's got to be something that drives our passion enough to say, I'm not letting that get away from me. I'm not letting that injustice that happened to me happen to anybody else. That's going to drive me to get involved in the ministry, right? I'm not going to allow kids to be born into homes without the stuff that they need. So I'm going to to get involved and I'm going to donate and I'm going to participate. I'm going to do iMoms. I'm going to help other other people. I'm going to do Sunday school because I want kids to grow up knowing Jesus. Somewhere along the way, there's got to be a race that you're running and participating in because you sense this is what God has called me to do and to do with all that I've got and to do with all my energy. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, right? handy-dandy trophies, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I strike a blow to my body. I willingly enter into suffering for greater gain. We do it in sports. The analogy is a Christian journey has to have that same kind of dynamic to it. We're willing to say, you know what? I can do with less stuff, so I'm going to give generously. You know what? I don't quite need as much time for myself and my pleasures. I'm going to participate in something that blesses other people. 
I will beat down my body, my desires, my flesh, the Bible calls that, so that my body can be used exactly the way God wants it to be. Spiritual suffering. 1 Peter 4, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with that same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Whoa. Whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Whoever takes a Christ-like attitude that, you know what, I'm going to humble myself, I'm going to offer myself to God and to others, that undermines the ultimate sin, which is pride. If I understand that myself, my life, everything that I have and that I am was given to me by Jesus as a gift to use for him, and if I understand that he said, treat others as yourself or even put others before yourself, right? then all the habits of me first start to slip away. So the drive isn't try your hardest to say, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin. That's just going to leave you fighting with sin. But Jesus said, and Peter says, follow the Christ who suffered for others. Enter into an act of service. The church has noticed over and over again through its history that though often our teachings and our doctrines and our history divides us, we have different patterns and ideas and all these things, but when we serve together, we realize we're actually on the same page. Right? Likewise, when you go to another person in this world and you come as their servant, their true servant, and say, I want to support you, I want to walk with you, I want to learn about you, I want to respect you in that journey, right? that undermines the attitudes of I'm better than you and all those other kinds of things that slip in. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for the evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. That's what shapes us. It builds character. That was one of my favorite lines to tell my children whenever they went through something and said, I don't want to do this. This hurts. That's hard. It builds character. I think I got that from uh, Calvin and Hobbes. And as a testimony to how important Calvin and Hobbes' their teaching is, my son and daughter have a Calvin and Hobbes, I can't say this word properly, tattoo. Did I say it right this time? Okay, what's the wrong way? Don't tell them the way I say it normally with that. Thank you. It builds character, right? And this is... This is what the Christian life is about. So if, in defense of Ruth Ann and that song we're going to sing next week, if there's any being pulled out of this world that goes on at all, it's the sense of we live in this world anticipating the day when we're pulled out of all that is broken and twisted and wrong in this world. Right? There is a sense in which there is a new day coming and that kind of stuff. It goes like this from Romans 5. Not only so... But we also glory in our sufferings. This is Paul's assumption of the attitude of the church, is that when we suffer, it's like, well, of course, that's just part of the deal. right? There are plenty of saints, Paul being one of them, who said when they had to suffer persecution because of their faith, well, isn't that awesome? I get to experience what Jesus experienced. It's amazing, isn't it, that people would take that kind of perspective, recognizing... Right? That there's something bigger than my personal experience of comfort and of joy. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Right? That's the bike riding experience. That's the training experience. Right? You do something hard for a while and you realize that later, I can do that easier now. Right? Then old age keeps in and you can't anymore, but that's a different story. Perseverance produces character. 
if you're hiring somebody, you kind of want to know that that somebody has persevered, right? Because as we probably, most of us know by now, having a BA from a university right now is probably what used to be to have a high school diploma. All it really tells you is that this person knows how to learn and they're disciplined enough to go to their courses, to write their papers, to do their projects, to write tests, to get through that process. You want to know at least that they can persevere that much if you have a job which requires that kind of education, right? Because it says something about character. If you can go through four years of university, it says something about your character, that you have the character to endure the suffering of school. Sorry, teachers. That's kind of what it feels like sometimes with students, right? You have the character to endure that on a regular basis to move forward. And God is saying the same thing for our Christian journey. What he's looking for us in us is, are we willing to persevere through the sufferings and challenges of our lives and the lives of the people around us to the point where that shapes who we are? That shapes our character. And you can see people whose character has been shaped by the suffering of Christ. Because when someone's suffering, the way Shelby is now, they go, can I go there? Can I help out? What can I do? Right? That's part of the character. And then character, hope. This is vitally important to me. I remember vividly preaching this passage at a really tragic funeral in my former congregation. Um, I won't tell you all the details of what went on in their life and family. But I remember preaching this and realizing that I had no explanation for why they had to go through all that stuff. But also knowing that they're going through this stuff, and I didn't tell them that at the time, they would know in their own time, would give them a sense of hope that if God can carry us through these tragic experiences, then what else can he do? As Paul says in Romans 8, There's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Not life or death or hardship or persecution or pain or sorrow. The reason we live out this life as a race for God, beating down our desires so that we can do what God calls us to do and make a difference in other people's lives, is so that we have to hang on to more than anything else this hope. That no matter what comes this way, God's got this. So, two weeks ago, talking about relationship with God and our creational relationship, I said that for me, since we can't produce life in a laboratory, that to me continues to be an incredible proof of the existence of God. And then this week whatever that thing that was flying through space took back some information that they're suggesting so far might be the secret to how we can produce life. And so I might be wrong about the fact that we can't produce life. But if I am, it's not going to change that I believe in God. right? Because as I said then, Copernicus and Galileo and... Columbus and all these kinds of people have moved us ahead in our understanding of how this works, world works, but it doesn't take away the fact that there's a God. And without that person out there who's come and lived among us and give us, given us a plan, all this suffering doesn't make any sense, right? We need a God, a person who loves us and created us and gave us this journey of suffering to help us grow and understand and have hope. We need Him to make sense out of the whole thing that we have someone in relationship 
with whom to connect. And so hopefully, you experience that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That you've got God coursing through your veins. That when you breathe in, that's the Spirit. When you breathe out, that's the Spirit of God working from you to others. Every breath you take, every word you say, everything you do is God at work in you. And when you own that and embrace that and seek to experience that more fully, that's what allows you to walk to whatever it is that comes your way. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you've renamed us as your children, that you've taken on our lives, that you came in bodily form, and that you call us to live out all that we are and all that we have in a journey of following you. And so we pray for the patient endurance to bear that which is challenging and difficult. And we pray for the thrill of victory when we experience you at work, changing lives, changing our lives, changing lives around us by your Spirit in us. So we offer ourselves again to you. And we pray, come Holy Spirit, come Lord Jesus, build us, transform us into your likeness more and more each and every day. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go with God's word of blessing. The Lord blesses you and he keeps you. He makes his face shine upon you and is gracious to you. The Lord our God turns his face towards you and gives you his peace now and forevermore. Amen.